Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today's guest is an American singer and rapper from, uh, from Baltimore, Baltimore based, kind of, uh, best known to being the front man of the synth pop band Future Islands. We have Samuel T. Herring. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm talking to luminaries now, talking to major <laughs> major people. And yes, uh, so you know, I, I want to get into like really early kind of kind of questions and just briefly because you probably have to talk about this a million times. But uh, describe your, your your background and how you got started in music. Um, well, I started. I guess I started writing when I was about thirteen to fourteen years old. Uh, I had an older brother who, you know, if for the people out there that have older siblings, you know, usually if you're into music, you got linked in um, by an older sibling. And my brother, you know, he was he was uh, four, three and a half, four years older than me. And uh, he was really into like weird rock and stuff. But, you know, I like bands like Primus and Danzig. I was listening to when I was like 10, which are pretty weird bands. So. But I didn't have any of those CDs. And then I, but I also loved, you know, when I was riding in the car with my mom, which is the only time I'd be in the car, um, she would always play oldies stations. So it's kind of funny. Like when I was like 10 or 11, I like wish that I was born, you know, 30 or 40 years before because I wanted to be like in a doo wop <laughs> or, you know, like an RB, like Temptations were like the Temptations were my first favorite group when I was five, six years old. It was like my first tape. So like these kinds of funny things, like, I think would inform me later, but, you know, I always loved to sing, you know, singing with my mom and stuff like that, my brother. Um, but then when I was 13, my brother like plugged me into hip hop yeah. and my uh, 13th birthday, he gave me three CDs that changed my life. It was De La Soul, um, Balloon Mind State, Digable Planets, Blowout Comb and Channel Live Station Identification, which is all Karis One produced record. Channel Live, I don't know if you know Channel Live, but they're all so, kind of a lesser known New York group that were really awesome. Um, and then, uh, it's the alpha, the Omega, <laughs> gonna, uh, squash is like, and she's like Sega. My parents wouldn't buy me the Nintendo, so I had the Sega. So when I heard that on the, on my CD, I was like, somebody likes Sega, man. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, basically at that point, you know, I'm, I'm 13 going on 14 year old kid. I'm of course, you know, in limbo with my friend groups, I'm starting to think about the darker sides of life, feeling isolated. So I start writing poetry and then also falling in love with hip hop at the same time. Like I found some, the link between the two. Sure. So, it, so while I was writing this kind of like emo, you know, gothic emo poetry as a 14 year old, I was also trying to write, you know, braggadocious uh, verse over here yeah. to try to give myself, I mean, really like it took me years to understand how that was like, it was an armor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like, it was like that, uh, hearing, hearing these stories, you know, when I'm listening to like New York or Los Angeles hip hop and I'm like, I'm in small town, like really small town, town of 3000 in North Carolina. And nobody knows what I'm listening to. Like it, it made me feel kind of like the music found me. Yeah. Um, but it also, it, it, it showed me that you can have a voice and that you can, you know, cause this is the age of Mo Money, Mo Problems and getting jiggy with it as, you know, the same time period. And I didn't really, I didn't connect with that music, you know, but I was connecting with people that were saying, telling harder stories um, like Goody Mob Soul Food, which is still like one of my top five albums in any genre of all time, yeah. uh, just like real stories. So, so uh, that's pretty much where it started. Just writing, 
um, to kind of understand myself or like trying to pull something from myself because it gave me, it gave me a voice. It made me feel like I had a power that nobody else had yeah. like around where, where I come from. And then that just carried me through, through high school. And then when I got to college, you know, I was looking for a producer, um, to make beats. And then I met my, my buddy, William, who is the bass player in future islands. Um, and he, we met like first day of art school and he gave me this weird ass CD that he had made that summer, um, uh, which was like, it sounded like Kraftwerk on made, like if Kraftwerk made an album on like the first Apple computer and then just set it on fire, <laughs> it was this, this weird document, you know, it was like, it was one of those little, uh, like three inch CDs that held like 22 minutes of music. Uh, these weird CDs that existed for, do you remember those things? Yeah, I, I do. We're, we're around yeah. the same age. So yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. Those. So it's like what happened? Where did those come from and where did they go? Just like, it's like somebody decided to make a seven inch on a CD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like the, 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 the high school that I went to, we, we had a, a bunch of would be producers in the basement and mm-hmm. we, we had like a really good band went to city college in, in Baltimore. And so we had a really like nice band and, you know, we had a, like a whole producer's wing in the basement. And I was just like, yeah, okay. yeah. and I, I'll, I'll speak on my corniness and, and not to, you know, deviate too far, but, I wrote a DJ Clue style and performed a DJ Clue style like rap song with the ad libs and all of that stuff about uh-huh. uh, Macbeth. <laughs> what? Yes. And it was called Murder Mac. It was ridiculous. And oh, man. I found like a dubbing machine and I was like, I'm going to record this because I want to impress this girl real quick. And that was what okay. my energy was. I was. It did. She remembered. Hey. <laughs> hey. And it was like one of those, it was one of those things where, um, I, I, I used to write rhymes and, and poetry or what have you in, uh, in city. And I would keep them in two different composition books. One was blue, one was black. And the rhymes were in the black one, the morose emo. Yeah, yeah. Stuff was in the blue one. And I remember I left it under my chair and my, uh, chemistry teacher found it. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually she found the emo one and she wrote in there, she wrote a note in red ink. People don't want anything to happen to you. It's all going to be fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, yeah, was, that was good. Damn it. I so. I'm glad she didn't take you to the side. Like, True. uh, we need to have a talk. Right. We're bringing in the school psychologist. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. I have a story, but I did a, I did a, I, it was in Baltimore. I had a acupuncture meeting. The one time I went to acupuncture, or I guess I, I went once while I was on tour. Cause my knee was, I have really busted knees, but uh, yeah, I, you know, had to fill out the questionnaire before they did the session and all this stuff. And it was like, do you ever think about suicide? And I was like, yeah, from time to time, you know, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, like I turn in the questionnaire and then four doctors come in the room and have a sit down with me. Oh, no. so I'm like, no, no, no. It, it's, it keeps me closer to life. You know, think, you know, death, the understanding that darkness, it keeps me closer to life. They're like, this guy is crazy. He's sticking one needles. Anyways, but that's real. You know, no, that, that is real. It's real. It's like people, people have thoughts. I mean, when, when I think of people that don't ever think about that dark side, it's like, man, you're missing something. <laughs> it's it's a thing like of in, with intrusive thoughts and things like that. It's like, this might be terrible and you might be fixed on it for a moment. It's like, that's not, that's not you. That's you at that, that second or what have you, but let it, let it roll. And some people get hooked on those intrusive thoughts and they think it's a value on them. Like, Oh, I'm a bad person. It's like, no, you just wanted to drop kick that old lady for some reason. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, it's an intrusive thought. It's fine. 
no, but yeah, getting back to the thing, like basically William gave me this CD and then I was, I was really impressed by it. And, uh, and yeah, we just started about, started talking about making a project and that became our first band. But, you know, it was one of those funny things like when, cause when uh, my brother was in, so when he went off to college, that was my freshman year of his freshman year of college, my freshman year of high school. So it was kind of like the first time I had the house to myself, you know, uh-huh. and my brother was like, he always kind of sucked the air from the room. You know, he's a really big presence, a really charismatic and uh, he's a hilarious guy. Also a great performer and uh, writer. And, uh, and yeah, so it was kind of like me growing, but then, I never wanted to be in bands because that's what he did. You know, he was in, he had his like high school band and then he went to college and formed a band. And I was just like, just focused on rap. That's what I wanted to do. And that's where I felt like I had, or like I brought value or I had, I had a voice. Um, but then me and my, you know, me and William had this idea to, to do a band, but it was more like in the idea of uh, performance art, um, which was kind of what I was really into. So so I kind of got tricked into singing in a band because I could sing like I could sing, but it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it was probably for me at that age. I felt like maybe singing was too open. You know, maybe it maybe it took the shield down too much, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I mean, maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm realizing this right now. But but in a way, like it felt too I don't know. I don't really like rock music that much. There's like, there's periods, you know, I like, I like certain heavy things, but, but in general, like what I heard on the radio growing up um, and the things that so many of my friends grew up on, even like, I don't care about Nirvana. I don't care about the Smashing Pumpkins. Sorry, Rob, if I'm hurting your feelings. This is a personal (laughs) affront. feel besmirched. (laughs) So much of the stuff I was like, these people aren't saying anything and they have no style. I want style. But I mean, you know, I, but then I found style in like Joy Division and Kraftwerk, you know, and then that was kind of where me and William connected because Kraftwerk was, you know, William's like, have you ever heard Kraftwerk? And I'm like, I've heard of them because they are sampled by Africa Bombada. But uh, do you know Africa Bombada? And he's like, no, I don't know that. So then we're like, he's playing me the original Kraftwerk and I'm playing in Planet Rock. Yeah. And then we kind of connected in this weird way. But then, so that was kind of the model of the first band was was Kraftwerk and, uh, and performance art. And then, you know, years later, we're still doing it. I mean, that's that's kind of a wild thing. I mean, that's that first group started in February of 03. So, I mean, I'm still two of the guys. I'm still making music with Garrett, Garrett, who's the keyboardist in future islands and William, who's the bass player. Yeah. Uh, we had that first band for two and a half years and then, and then uh, future islands began. So what, so I'm going to, I'm going to go to previous uh, interviews because I'm sure you've had several. So this is, this is going to be a thing. Well, probably not several more <laughs> than several. Uh, what is the weirdest or funniest question you've been asked in an interview? Oh yeah, yeah. And the hard hitting ones right here. Man, I'm terrible with these kinds of questions. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I I used to have a really good memory, and now every time I learn something new, I completely forget something I've known my whole life. Um, which <laughs> I guess can make life interesting. You just keep making the same mistakes that you. Uh, <laughs> I've I've definitely gotten. I've gotten asked questions about have I ever been grabbed on stage like my junk, which I have. Wow. It's not cool. No, not, not at all. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that to anybody. Um, I'm trying to think. 
I mean, I mean, that's one right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. It's kind of like, Oh, you're being funny, but no, it's happened. And it's, yeah. You don't know, really know what to do. You don't know what to do. It's um, weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Hmm, man, I know I've gotten some good questions. You know, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to get a good interview. And I've never been asked this question, so it's already we're already off on a good foot. Boom! Oh, something <laughs> new, something unique. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. So then we'll 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 move to another one. Uh, so how how was it? Because I, I realized there was a release during the pandemic um, from a future albums mm-hmm. release, and um, so how how was it working on an album during like this period when like we're living in this hellscape? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways it kind of. It made it, it, it kind of softened the blow because we, we mixed that record. We basically finished tracking uh, in probably early January of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then I went back. So my partner is, my partner is Swedish. So I, I finished tracking with the guys, flew over to Sweden, um, hung with her in Stockholm. And then we went, we were in London for a few, a couple weeks. Um, Cause she had, she was on a job. She's an, she's an actor. And, uh, and, then, you know, we're in London and it starts to get really weird, you know, it's just like, uh, be hearing more and more about coronavirus and just being like, uh, what's really happening. And I, and I had to leave soon, um, to get back to mix the record. Yeah. Um, but I think I came back on like March 10th or 11th. And then I think lockdown in the city happened on like the 12th or the 13th. It was basically like, I came back and was like, I'll see you in a month and a half. Um, hopefully everything's okay. And then I got home, everything locked down, border shut down, flight canceled. And then, you know, it was just like, Oh my God, like, I don't know when I'm going to see my lady again. I don't know what is happening. Um, but then we just, and then it was like, Hey, I came back. I wish I'd have stayed. (laughs) I wish I had stayed, but I'm back here now. How, how are we supposed to mix this record if we're not allowed to be in the same room together? So, uh, so uh, our we work we work uh, with Steve Wright who uh, runs Rightway Studios, which is a great studio over in Remington area, and uh, and he basically set us up so we were we would call in to uh, his this uh, it's like an audio program like a server an internet uh, URL that's a server for high resolution audio. Sure. So he he can plug his board his like professional studio board into this and we can then go and listen in real time yeah. and he can make changes. So it was kind of interesting because the thing is like when you've been in a band this long, you don't really, you're like so connected that you don't, <laughs> sometimes you don't even pay attention to each other. It sounds terrible. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but I know that, I know that if we were mixing that record in, in a room, probably would have been like staring at our phones and like half listening and half getting things and talk, you know, just kind of getting lost in it or whatever. But instead we were, you know, we would call into this program and then we would do a zoom call. Mm -hmm. So we were looking at each other's faces, interacting, we're all stuck in our houses and, you know, it kind of was a a little bit therapeutic because it allowed us a chance to, to connect you know, um, in a way, cause also that's the other thing when you're like such good friends, you don't talk as much because yeah. you know, it's just, that's just how some, sometimes you just kind of, it was like, well, I'll see you for two years straight in the bus in a few months. So <laughs> I'm going to let you have your space right now. Right. I'll be over here, you know? So, uh, you know, um, 
it's, it was kind of interesting. So I think it actually gave us a more comfortable air because we were, we were originally going to release like July or August. Um, and then coronavirus happened and it was like, why are we going to release in July or August? And then it was a question of, do we even release this record this year mm-hmm. or do we wait till next year? And then, but will anything be open next year? So, I mean, we pretty, we, we, our management asked us that question. Like, you just want to hold the record. Our, our label asked us, and we were like, nah, we want to put it out. And then, cause you know, if, if we just sat on it, then it's, just, I don't know. It does no one any value. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it doesn't do anybody good, but maybe, maybe it'll give somebody, um, you know, people that care about our music, maybe it'll give them some release within this, this hellscape <laughs> but uh but you know it was weird to i would say it was weirder to release the record than it was to mix it um mm-hmm. i mean it was it was exciting to to put that record together and you know it was the first time we were like co-producers in an album really heavy-handed with the record um because we had kind of a we, we had kind of a rush job with the previous record and we didn't want to that to happen to us again um and that's just one of those things you learn so uh so yeah it it uh it's like the first record that we all like the way it sounds <laughs> there's always somebody everybody has a, one of our records are just like i hate that one <laughs> well, it makes sound like this or that or the bass sounds like this it's just like these kinds of things so so it was good but yeah releasing it was strange not being able to tour because we're a touring band you know mm-hmm. we we uh pride ourselves on hitting the road pretty hard. I mean, I think that's going to slow down in the future just because we're getting older. Like we got a band baby and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's these, these things, uh, called life <laughs> yeah as as life comes and you you've touched on it like I, I i echo your sentiment about having destroyed knees and yes yeah. uh nah <laughs> it is uh, it's not great and i'm starting like as I'm, I'm 36 and my back has been like shit for like the last year and i'm like the back is most of your body so <laughs> That's really scary. Yeah, um, so I'm going to sort that out, and I did sp- spend like thirteen hundred dollars on some some cheer, so we'll sort it out. You got to tighten up your core, man. You got to protect your back. Look, I'm going to keep being three hundred pounds and enjoying myself, <laughs> <laughs> and having my bad back. Thank you very much. Uh, so now this is this is a this is a writing question. Um, what inspires you when you're writing and touch on that, your, your writing process between writing for future islands and writing for uh, Hemlock Ernst. Um, well, I guess with uh, a big thing with future islands is that I, I, I don't, I never write without, I guess, I guess in, within, within uh rap and future islands, I, I don't write really without music. I need, I need the music. I need the music to feel something. Um, but I think with, with future islands, it's more about, uh, you know, feeling, trying, trying to understand the guy's emotions within the music. You know, I, I really have to protect, I mean, um, not protect, uh, project something of them. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it can't be completely just me, but, but at the same time, I know that those personal stories are the ones that are going to hit the hardest. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think with me and in all forms, it's about, it's about just, uh, feeling feeling the music and trying to translate that into words and sometimes it's just like you come up with a simple chorus just like uh 
a melody or sometimes it's just a word that begins. And sometimes you write a whole song and you weren't even trying and then it's really good. I mean, that, that's when it's the best, when it, when it just rolls out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think with Hemlock, I dig a lot deeper into things that are harder to say. Um, it, it allows me, I mean, it's just even just the, the form, you know, the form of, uh, I remember when we first started uh, our first band, Our Lord and Self-Portraits, it was very much like I was amazed because I said, well, I'm used to writing pages, you know, pages and pages is a song. And all of a sudden I have to write 16 lines yeah. and that's the song. I was like, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think as I, of course, as I uh, practiced my craft more and understood it more, it was definitely about, well, you better make those lines good. Like it's only 16 lines, but you better make them good. And then, and then that translated back to, uh, to, uh, you know, rap verse, which is like, how do you make every line line count? Um, and, uh, and yeah, but I, but with, with Hemlock, I definitely talk more about, um, just like my personal origin. Um, I'm working on a record right now that deals a lot with, uh, kind of like ideas of generational trauma within my own family or like how am I connected to my, my, my grandmother in ways like, so I'm, I'm a quarter Filipino. Um, and my, you know, my, my mother or my, my mother's mother, uh, is a Filipino woman, but she died when I was very young. So I kind of like missed a lot of my, that part of myself, sure. you know? And I think, I think in a way that I'm just realizing now how that was somewhat of an isolating thing. Um, not understanding that, you know, my mom was born there and came over. So she has like slight memories, but not really anything. And, and, uh, and yeah, just growing up, what was it like to, for, for my mom to grow up in the South, you know, in the fifties and my grandmother to move there as a, as a, you know, in a very small Southern town, um, yeah. and these ideas. So, so that's something that, I don't really dig into, it's like so too personal, you know, and I, I talk about, you know, I had, I had bad drug problems, uh, that took me out of college. Like basically, uh, I failed out of school, you know, I used to deal in and, but became a junkie basically. <laughs> and, and so I dig into those things, which I, which I allude to in some, you know, in like certain poetic ways in future islands. Um, but, but, you know, future islands is, is really about trying to find like uh, certain universals, um, mm -hmm. even within a personal story, but, but finding, trying to have a, using a universal language, um, which, yeah, which anyone can understand trying, never trying to be, you know, talking over anyone's head or, or uh, yeah, it's using a, using a certain language of love, um, love and despair. Um, but, but, you know, with, with Hemlock, I can go into a, into kind of really raw spaces, um, because I don't have to apologize or I don't have to make it, It's not like my, you know, Garrett's mom's going to listen to it. <laughs> no, or even my parents. I remember my dad called me one day and he's like, I just listened to this trouble knows me song. Did you really do all that stuff? And I was like, yeah, dad, I told you not to listen to that. And he's like, it made me real sad. And I was like, don't listen to that stuff. You it's, don't want to listen to any more of that. Stay, stay out of there. Um, Not it's you. maybe too deep, but I appreciate it. You know, like that's, you know, I, I think it's, 
it's one of those things, like, I think it's really important for an artist to, to give that, um, be, well, but I don't know. I mean, my, my feelings about this change, I think, I think at some point in the last four or five years, I've realized that maybe I've given too much of myself to some people, to some extent, maybe I've exposed myself too much. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like where I'm at now in my next phase of life, which is, which is, uh, you know, trying playing, playing with these ideas too, about, um, what, what we share. Cause we, we do live in an extremely overexposed, uh, age in art where, you know, I've, I'm, I'm not, these aren't my ideas necessarily, but I've probably, I've heard other people talk about it, but you know, it's like, I mean, even, even the idea of like our data being stolen, it's also, or like monetized. It's like people sell their life stories for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you um, know, on, on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, or like me through my music, like, Oh, I mean, at least, at least like we're, we're th- there. Th- that is something that is a part of my business. My art is business. Sure. And so, so you can't, you, you know, you can only front so much on that. <laughs> you know, it is, it is a business eventually like, um, and that, that's, that can be a hard turn. I think for artists when, you know, when we were just struggling for, you know, for 10 years trying to, to make something of our music, uh, everything was exciting. And then when we started getting paid for our music, <laughs> then it was a job and you can't, don't lose your job. I mean, it's fun getting to not, not the top. That's not me, but to get, to see the the goal, it's, it feels amazing to get, to reach the goal. Um, But then it, but then where, where are you? You know, you have to make a new goal. You have to understand what it is to, and you have to hold on to this thing. Um, and, And I think in a lot of ways, you know, people are quick to, to give away more. I think maybe I did, um, you know, well, that, um, that's one of the things though, you, you touched on it and, um, the just giving, giving away, I run into it on occasion where you put a lot and especially when it comes to like personal stuff and feeling like you're giving up too much. And I've been playing with this idea of scarcity. I was like, I am putting yeah. myself out there and, you know, I've been doing this podcast or doing a podcast for 12 years and it's only so many characters I can play in a podcast. So, (laughs) you you know, people are seeing a maturation from me being a silly 24 year old to me being a silly 36 year old and being able to track that and document where I was at in my life. And, you know, talk to what you were saying, a lot of it is free. A lot of it is given away. And there are, you know, instances kind of through this podcast where opportunities, access and money are, are coming in that it feels like work. And when it starts to feel more and more like work, it's like, uh, but it, it's still something that you're like, okay, this is something that feels viable and it feels good to be kind of self-made in that, that regard. But at the yeah. same time, it's like, I need to have a little bit more scarcity because I am giving away a lot of, yeah. of myself in it. And even recognizing with the, the people that I'm interviewing, there's a degree of vulnerability in, in those interviews and in those questions. It's like, I try to make it a habit of sharing the questions with people because I'm like, okay, this might be a sore topic with this person or <laughs> this person's like, I don't talk about that. It's like, Oh shit, my bad. Um, and you, but, but at the same time, you want to have a really honest conversation. And 
um, and kind of talk about like really what it is to, to be an artist, what it is to, to be an entrepreneur, what it is to have connections to, to Baltimore. And yeah. sometimes those are not the, the easiest conversations. It might be something that's like, yes, I had this really terrible situation. That's how I got to Baltimore. You, yeah. you weren't asking him about that terrible situation, but it is part of the story. So it's kind of being aware of that and just recognizing, like, for me at least, how much are you giving away into and, and how valuable that is, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Even even if it's not even if it's just uh sometimes you gotta protect other people too. You know, I I with Future Islands, you know, I've really dug into some old relationships. Um and that left me feeling guilty later and still asking that question of is it my is it is it my right to talk about a relationship in a public somewhat public manner? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's my experience as well, but but uh it is kind of it's cheating a little bit. <laughs> Here's my side of the story. No one else. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and I mean that's and that but that's something I've tried to do in in my music, which is which is look at things kind of equally and call myself a piece of shit sometimes too, understanding that that's that I'm that you you know, we have to call ourselves out for these things as well, like understanding our own faults. But that's also growing. I mean, I think you said a really interesting thing just about, you know, doing something for twelve years and being able to hear your growth. Um, th- those kinds of things are what I'm really interested in now, because like when we did the last, uh, the last, our last record, as long as you are, you know, we were making it and it was like, this is the sixth album. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then when it was done and it was out, I realized that it wasn't an album. It was like a chapter, you know yeah. what I mean? It was just like, Oh, this is like, uh, this isn't just like a, and, and, you know, it's the standalone group of songs. Like, like, you know, there's, I, I actually, uh, you know, reference, there's a song called I knew you, which is a really fucked up true story. Um, you should check out, check out that song. Uh, lyric. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it is like, it, I, it's self-referential. Like it references a song off our second album because that person said to me, like in this instance, um, Basically, I was with an ex-partner and I wasn't, she said I could crash at her place. We, it, was, it was all kosher. And then her boyfriend came home in the night and I, nothing happened. But then, yeah, I, th- I thought this guy was going to kill me. And she was just like, what, what if Long Flight was about you? Like a song from our second album. And I was like, it is about me. It's about both of us, you asshole. Like, why am I here? Cause she was like, you just crash. You know, we was our, us seeing each other for the first time in like five years. Yeah. And I thought it was all kosher. And then I realized that I was like, I was engine. She basically used me to get back her boyfriend. Cause she was pissed off at him about something. And I was like, how are you using me right now? I like, I thought we were trying to like get to a chill place. Yeah. Anyways, it sucks. And that was the last time I talked to that person. And that was a story I was never going to tell. Like, right. and then, um, or I, I had said to her in, in coming to that place where we were meeting for the first time, you know, she shared with me how I really hurt her through, you know, as she said, drag, dragging the ghost of our relationship, um, just like behind me, just like profiting off of, uh, this dead dog. And I, I was like, damn, that's dark. And I was like, I'm not, I don't, you know, I won't do that again. I'm sorry. And then she did that. And I was like, fuck this. I'm writing this fucking song. <laughs> this song is going, this is like, this is too good. But I mean, you know, that's messed up. And you know, my current relationship, which is super solid. It's like, I'm just in, I mean, of course, I, I'm not with her right now. Cause I'm, I can only be over there three months at a time. And 
she can't come over here because they're banned from coming over right now. It's it's rough, but it's such a positive relationship. It's kind of allowed me to to see certain things in a different light. I mean, you know, look back at those relationships like, man, what are you doing? But we're young. Um, but I but when we started dating, I said, you know, I'm never going to write songs about you because because it because <laughs> every time I did that, it did not end well. <laughs> So I'm not going to start, but of course I did because you can't help yourself. You know, you're like inspired. You're like inspired with love or a new feeling. Um, or like I said, you know, realizing, realizing new depths of old relationships and old situations because of uh, a, a new situation that illuminates uh, something, which isn't necessarily, a, you know, necessarily illuminating something positive uh, in yourself, but maybe illuminating for me, illuminating certain negative things about myself, uh, that I, that I have worked on, maybe I found growth or maybe I still need to work on, you know, on these, these kinds of things. So, so, I mean, I'm, I, but I am a person who, you know, getting back to just the writing question, I'm a person who kind of lives within myself in my writing. Um, and that, this goes back to when I went off to college and I said I was going to be a conceptual artist, um, and this was my drive. Like, like when I went off to school, I wanted to, I wanted to make music, um, focusing on, on rap music, but, but I was planning on being an artist. That was my drive. Um, and then after I filled out of school, I realized that the music was the thing that I still loved. You know what I mean? It was like, the music was still there. Um, but when I went off to school, I was like, you know, content is dead. You know, I'm not painting a bowl of fruit. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't need, uh, you know, I, I, n- not, I, there's value in aesthetic, you know, mm-hmm. there's value in beauty, um, to be, to be sure. But, um, but, but I really believe that all, you know, that art was pretty much done and what we have to share is ourselves. And I found through writing really deeply about my life, um, through future islands that, uh, it helped people, you know, and the people that would talk to me after shows, um, you know, really talking about certain songs that meant a lot to me, like a song like Lighthouse in particular, which is a song about uh, suicidal ideation and a person who kind of helped me at a time um, when I was really, really uh, deep in a, in a, in a deep spot. Um, and understanding how that song helps other people, you know, it's yeah. like, so I tell my story of how I felt and how a person pulled me out um into and showed me some light and then then that song goes out to the audience um either on stage or through a through a record um and then those people get that feeling and then they understand they find some light and to 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 see how much like just telling you know telling a hard story um you know it's the same way like i said i felt you know listening to listening to, to struggle stories, um, how it helped me as a kid who felt that I was struggling. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's kind of my, my cycle. And, but the, you know, at some point you're kind of like, damn, this is like, all right, did I already write this song? <laughs> how do you written 200 songs, 300 songs? You're just like, you, you, you do have to, you either have to dig a little bit deeper or start to look at things from your new perspective. Um, I guess is a thing. And that's kind of why, what I was saying with the chapter where you're just like, Oh, this is kind of just, this is where we are right now um, in our lives. It's not, you know, cause future rounds is not, we're never really trying to reinvent ourselves. Um, 
we talk about it, but we always find ourselves kind of writing in a similar palette of, of sounds because that's, that just feels good to us. It always has, you know, we've always had this kind of, that kind of eighties, uh, you know, synth vibe, um, which, uh, which still, it still pulls some gold. I mean, we're sitting on some tracks for a new record now that I'm really excited about. Um, I, you know, it sounds like future Island. So if it's your, if you're into it, <laughs> oh yeah, you got to find your niche. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Um, so the last question I have, it's, it's, it's always the Baltimore question. I always have to put it out there and I like to get, um, I like to get people's like uh take on Baltimore. And like I said, you know, and when we got started here, like, uh, this is, this is, you know, podcast about artists with connections to Baltimore. And, yeah. uh, so how, how has it been to be an artist with those, those Baltimore ties and describe Baltimore from your vantage point? Um, so I came, I guess the first time I came to Baltimore was in, uh, I think August of 2005 with our first band. Um, it was like the last, the very last tour before that band split up. And it was one of the wildest nights um, that I've ever had on the road because we, we had a buddy who had a, like um, our van that we had at the time was in the shop. Uh, it was our, our friend who used to be in the band who had, uh, who would quit a couple months after this. And so we asked a good buddy of ours if he would, <laughs> if he would drive, cause he had this one of these big conversion vans, you know, that had the, you know, the tiny little DVD or VHS yeah. player in it and everything. Um, and, uh, we were like, could you drive it? And he's like, well, the thing is like, I just got a DUI and I'm on some new medication and maybe it's not a good idea. Um, but if you guys look after me, like I can't get in any trouble. <laughs> we did a two and a half week tour, like around the, the Northeast and Southeast, just like a big loop, yeah. Chicago, New Orleans, New York, uh, Tallahassee. Those are like the four points. Like it's a, it's a good amount of space to cover in two and a half weeks. So the first show was Baltimore. We drove up, um, we drove up to Baltimore and then we were playing the tour was with our buddy, Dan Deacon, uh, Baltimore, great Baltimore musician. And, uh, so we were going to play a show with the, the old talking head. Um, and then, and then drive down to Greenville for the second show and then start the tour Greenville, North Carolina. That's where we went to college. Mm -hmm. And basically Oliver who said, I will do it, but you have to look after me. Don't let me get in any trouble as soon as we arrived, he'd already like, he, he knew some girl in Baltimore and she was just there and they just, she just like ran up to him. They started making out and just disappeared. <laughs> and, and like what, what happened, what ended up happening is we played the show. Then it was like, uh, we, we were the first of the night and some people that were there were like, Oh, we really wanted to see you play. Will you play our warehouse space? So then we, we went over to the setting, the second floor of the copycat annex on the, on the west side of the building and uh and played this show like at three in the morning to a bunch of people who were like this city is amazing <laughs> and then oliver is there and he is wasted and just acting wild and then there's there you know a cop comes around and he's he's there he's he's like there lurking and oliver just start he just like starts walking down the uh the fire escape flicking the guy off. He's like, fuck you. I mean, the, the cop's over there. He's not, he's just watching and he might do something, but he's not doing anything. And Oliver walks all the way down, flicking him off with a pint of Evan Williams in his hand. And as soon as his foot hits the pavement, 
The guy swings or sw- swings his car around, guns it, jumps out, grabs Oliver, shakes him. So his he like the bottle drops, smashes on the ground, and then he throws him down, handcuffs him behind his back, and, and we're all just like, oh shit. So, <laughs> anyways, Oliver is handcuffed, hands behind his back, in laying in his uh, laying in this broken bottle, and this guy is. Big ass dude is just yelling at him. Who the what the fuck is your fucking name, man? <laughs> and Oliver's going, My name's Oliver. Let me go. The cop's like, Your name's not fucking Oliver. Yeah, it's <laughs> Oliver. And I look up and it's uh, the copycat annex is on Oliver Street. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking sign's right there. The cop's like, It's not your fucking name. He keeps fucking pulling up the cuffs. Anyway, it was fucked up and like you know. We were trying to, we were like, please, please let him up. But uh, basically, yeah, Oliver, eventually the cop, I guess the cop let him go after like three hours. And then we, we went to sleep and we we're just like, yo, Baltimore's crazy. So we drive <laughs> down the next, we drive down the next day. I mean, luckily Oliver didn't go to jail. And then it was just like, hey, you can't drive this tour. We're going to find a new, you're staying here. Like, oh, for real? And like, yeah, fuck you, dude. You, you cannot be on tour with us, dude, pulling this shit. These so, are weird. Uh, that was, so that was our first introduction to Baltimore. And, and the whole thing was like Dan, Dan moved here right around the same time. And then through, you know, this is summer 2005. And then in the end of 2005, uh, Art Lord broke up in the beginning of 06, Future Islands began. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff happened. Like, you know, I left. I left Greenville in July of '06 to get cleaned up off drugs, and then uh, William left Greenville, and then in end of '06, I guess '07, I was I was kind of lived out of my van in '06, and then '07, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, for a year, mm-hmm. um, just to like a healthy place or trying trying to find a healthy place. And then in the end of 07 was when me and William were kind of like, uh, I called him up one day and was like, Hey man, I don't want to be in Asheville anymore. And, and, uh, I think I'm going to move to Baltimore and get in with, uh, Dan, you know, uh, cause Dan Deacon is just like constantly Oh five, Oh six, Oh seven. Like, Hey, you guys come and be a part of this thing. I feel like you weren't doing anything because Dan always really believed in what we were doing and, um, we always felt like a kinship with him, uh, because like we were, you know, we were this, you know, keyboard band in North Carolina in 05, which isn't, or from 03 to 05, like that's not really weird. Now there's like a really awesome band called Sylvan Esso that's out of North Carolina now. And they're all electronic. And, you know, it's like, where were you guys when, <laughs> you know, we, you know, we had a couple friends, but we were always just seen as this very weird band. We were just like, um, because North Carolina is just like very guitar centric mm-hmm. rock music and alt country and this and that. And, and we were just doing a different thing. And when we, we ended up moving to Baltimore, cause Dan was like, you know, there's all these, there's all this, uh, these other artists who are doing stuff. I think you guys would be really inspired, you know, come and be a part. And, uh, and yeah, then it was, you know, future Islands was just kind of floundering. So when me and William decided to move here, you know, I called him and said, I want to move to Baltimore because I want to because I'm tired of delivering dominoes and and like not making music. I want to at least deliver dominoes in Baltimore or something like I got to do something. I can't I feel like I'm wasting way out here. And uh, 
And William's like, oh, that's what I want to do. And so we were like, cool, we'll start a new band in Baltimore. Like the idea was that Future Islands might be done. Mm -hmm. um, but then Garrett came up in, so I moved up, when I moved up November 07, I moved up January 08. Um, and Garrett moved in July of 08. And then we went on our first U.S. tour uh, in, in July of 08 and then just stayed on the road. I mean, the big thing was it was kind of like Baltimore, like, gave us a new confidence. It was almost like it gave us the confidence to take – if we made the step here, then, then we could make a bigger step out. And then we just kept, you know, going out. But it was really funny to me because when I, when I moved here, uh, within my first week, you know, I was just, you know, going out trying to, trying to, you know, go, going over to upstairs at Auto Bar, going to uh, Charles and, and uh, me and William would go out together because before Garrett got up and, because uh, I was just sleeping on the floor at the living room of the house William was staying at. And uh, we would, this is before FaceTime existed, but we were, or I don't think FaceTime existed, but we were like, let's go get some FaceTime in. <laughs> I was just like, check out girls like, whoa, like. <laughs> Baltimore. Wow. Uh, you know, but it's like really looking, looking gnarly. We were gnarly looking dudes. And, um, and, but that whole thing was, I, I, I was running into friends everywhere, yep. you know, I, and I realized that I had, I had more friends in Baltimore in a city I'd never lived in. than I had in Asheville, a city that I had lived in for a whole year. And I felt more comfortable. I felt more excited. Um, but I mean, but that's like, I think for us, Baltimore, has been, I mean, Baltimore changed our lives in a lot of ways. Um, and, and the people that we've met, um, and, uh, and just gave us a confidence to, uh, you know, cause we were just stuck in, we were stuck in North Carolina. We were comfortable with, with those things, uh, the comfortable being comfortable, you know what I mean? And I think Baltimore showed us just another side of life and, um, uh, it taught us about work and I met so many good people in this city. Um, and so many people that do so many different things as, uh, yeah, it's just like constantly inspiring, but I mean, to be honest, you know, I haven't at that same time, like I haven't really even been around in the last, in the last, uh, few years, just cause I've been out in, in Sweden with my lady when I can or out on the road. So there's, there's like, I, I was saying earlier, you know, like finding out about new stuff and seeing what new people are doing, um, is always exciting and seeing some some folks that uh i guess are are like really starting to hit or i just like you see the people that want to work because there is you know being a being a person who didn't really get it for a while you know and seeing my friends that drop off you know the people that you know because sometimes you got to sometimes you're just like i can't keep doing this you know i can't keep uh struggling with this music and trying to do the thing you know sometimes it's just like a lucky break or like one good show will keep you going for another month or two you know and sometimes that just runs out um but i really i really respect you know um when i i, I appreciate i really appreciate seeing um people that, are, that grind really hard um and, and coming out of the city because i, I want to see this city rise i mean we didn't we didn't move to New York for, for certain reasons, you know, it couldn't, that just seemed like, uh, too far and it didn't seem right. Like, and this city has so much soul in a different way. Um, and just like a realness that, that, uh, I think speaks to, speaks to what we're about. 
which is just hard work, you know. That's that's like Future Islands is like hard work. That's that's pretty much us. I dig it, and that is 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 good to hear that. And that is pretty much all I have in terms of questions. Yeah, I, I, I burned up thirty minutes. No, 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 no. You're you're good. You're good. Um, and I, you know, like um, I want to give you the opportunity to shamelessly plug because I'd like to give everyone an opportunity to shamelessly plug. So, um, you know, your social media website, whatever you want to share. Um, and thank you so much. This has been everything that I was hoping. Oh yeah, I really appreciate it, Rob. It's been it's been a pleasure talking. And if you you know if you ever need uh, to talk again, feel free to hit me up anytime. Absolutely. So where can he find you on social media and then you, you know, the, the Future Islands website and all that good stuff? Yeah, you can't you can't really find me. I'm on Instagram, uh, Hemlock Ernst. You can look that up. But I I don't really do anything <laughs> on it. I got a girl now. <laughs> when I didn't have a girl, I was all up on Instagram, putting up silly pictures. Taking, you know, <laughs> I go back in time and I'm like, damn, dude, you post a lot of garbage. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope, I hope, I got my lady now. So, but yeah, I want him like her. It's like, I, I plug, I plug some music on there. You can check out uh, two drowns on Twitter, two drowns on Instagram. Um, I don't even know what our website is, but we'll be out like future. is going to be out on the road come August 31st. Well, if, if it holds, um, so uh, I look forward to it. I'm nervous. Like, I'm never nervous, but just, like, anxious to do this thing again. Um, I mean, it's been so long. It's been, it's been a long time. Yeah. But I think it's just going to come back, you know. I think it's just going to flood back in the body. Um, and uh, and all, will, all will feel right, you know. I, I, need to, I need to shine for a minute. My girl, I think, is she's like, you need to get on stage. <laughs> like, I, don't need, I don't want you moping around. I'm <laughs> like, I had a bad day. It's like you need to get on stage. You're because you yeah, start feeling myself. Guy. You're definitely an orange stage. I'm an orange guy. stage guy. Yeah. yeah. If you don't know me and you're listening to this, you should know me. I'm real <laughs> good. Yeah. I'm a I'm a humble man, but I'm a damn good performer. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I can't knock it. I was going through and looking at some videos, and I was like, I am now intimidated. I don't know what I'm going to say to this dude now. I was like, this is going to be some shit. This is, I was like, I'm going to be a complete hack. Let's see what happens. But um, so I'll do my sign off. And again, thank you so much for being on this podcast. This has been a lot of fun, and I'm really honored to have um, chatted with you for the better part of an hour. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Rob. I really appreciate it. So for Sam Samuel, Samuel Herring, I'm Rob Lee saying it is art in and around Baltimore. He's got to look for it.